listening to the Joshua Badu podcast. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. And last but not least, enjoy. Welcome back to the Coach Badu Experience. You are here with your host, Joshua Badu, and we have a special guest today. I'll let, allow him to introduce himself, say who you are. Hey, Josh. My name is uh, Jeremiah Joe. So I'm a world-class charisma coach that specializes in the capitalism of inner strengths and helping individuals to find the inner confidence through clarity or identity. And really, thank you, Josh, for having me here on the podcast. Great privilege and great honor. I'm glad you showed up. We, I was finally able to get him on the podcast. I've had him in mind for quite a while now. I've, like when I first started off this, I was thinking to myself, okay, who who are the minds I want to really start help to pioneer and get, get it started? And you're one of the first people that came to mind. So when I reached out and you said, hey, let's do it, I'm so happy to hear. Now, and you should be seeing more from myself and you in the future as well. So mm. as he said before, he is a charisma coach. Um, helping to build your internal identity and how this leads to charisma and all things that go forward into your purpose. So very excited to have you here. Thanks for coming. Hey, pleasure. Anytime. So look, we are both coaches, right? Mm. I'm a life coach, you're a life coach, and then life coaches branches into different spheres of life coach. We have your business coach, health coach, um, you know, well-being coach, uh, and all the different types of coaches, right? I'm very curious because... Though I now go with the title of, of a purpose coach and mainly dealing with Christians, mm. I won't. I'll, I'll, I'll be lying if I didn't admit there were certain coach um, uh, specialties that kind of are attractive and they look cool to me, right? Like when I hear charisma coach, I'm like, oh, that sounds it's swaggy. It sounds like, <laughs> you know, it's got that flair to it. Like <laughs> he's going to teach you some things that you know is going to go a long way because persuasion and communication is everything. Mm. I want to ask you, like, do is there any uh, specialties in, coach, in coaching that you kind of look at and you're like, oh, how dope would it be to be that kind of coach or this kind of coach? Like how do you view the different specialties within coaching? Like for me, when I first started as a coach, like obviously I really want to be confident, to be, you know, getting all the attention of the students or participants, helping to add value to them at the most. Mm. And specialties really comes with like confidence in public speaking or able to have deep listening to their issues and yeah. facilitate that self-learning journey for them. Yeah. But more or less really what, resonates with my coaching methodology is to be bring the best out of every single person. Mm. Even when it comes to charisma, um, no charisma is widely misconceived in today's world. This yeah. Is. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, if you think about charisma itself, the word in urban or contemporary definition, mm. it means like the attractive charm that, only a few elites will possess. Yeah. Say some of people you might think about, maybe Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Definitely. <laughs> Robert yeah. Downing Jr. Yeah, definitely. Angelina Jolie. Well, and that's how, and sorry for cutting off, I want to let you keep going, but like when I think about charisma, there's two actors in life that I'm always like, I want to shape my charisma off, and that's Leonardo DiCaprio Ooh. and Will Smith. <laughs> I'm like, if I had both those personalities combined into one, I'm like, there's nothing I couldn't do in regards to that idea of charisma yeah so there's a lot of misconceptions when you hear the word charisma but i'll, I'll let you keep going yeah 100 percent. like people think that um if i'm good looking enough if i'm eloquent enough i can be a person of charisma mm. and it's really important to look at the origin of the word because often many words including charisma the meaning can be invaded 
by contemporary culture. Yeah. Such that in the only recent centuries, the word charisma has been derived as with such of uh, attractiveness uh, that influence over masses. Mm. However, if you look at the word charisma, interestingly, it comes from Greek. It's a Greek word. Yeah. And in linguistics, in the etymology of of the word charisma itself, yeah. the root word is charis. Mm. And then you have ma, which is a suffix. So C-H-A-R-I-S, the root word, actually in Greek, it means grace. Mm. While we think about grace, um, many people will think that grace can be uh, kindness, uh, love, <laughs> you know, great patience, all yeah. the positive virtues. All but, those positive virtues, yeah. But actually, if you look at the meaning of grace, it's undeserving favor. Mm. That is the definition uh, of the word itself, which means that it's not because I'm good enough, therefore I deserve such a gift, mm. but yet it's because naturally I am given such a gift, somehow by the grace of God, you know, I'm, I'm able to you know, be good at mathematics or great with words and etc. So charisma itself is not actually attractive or confident influence. In exact meaning, it means gift. That is yes. the original meaning of the Greek word charisma. No, that's so amazing. And here's the thing, right? I want us to allow that context to shape how we even refer to charisma, right? Because you have the 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 true charisma meaning, which you just outlined in regards to grace. Then you have the contemporary meaning that we kind of view charisma as like the, you know, communication ability, the mm. magnetism, magnetism, that you may have as a personality or communication skills. Um, but starting with the the the, um, the true definition of charisma, right, which is that grace, and mm. you defined grace as undeserved or unmerited favor. Mm. I think it's funny because in our society today, we really want to, I think people tend to lean towards the idea of I'm doing it, I made mm. me, this is something that I've earned, which... You know, if you've worked hard and you, you start from the bottom and then now, you, now you're here, you make it to the top and you're, you go from the slums to becoming a billionaire, maybe like Jay-Z kind of thing, mm. you can understand why someone would be like, I made this. This wasn't, this wasn't unmerited. This was all earned. Mm. But there is something to say when you realize there is that aspect of life that is unearned, right? Mm. That you, your, your situation, how, no matter how bad it was, could have really been much worse. Everyone's been given a certain... Um, amount of ability to at least work with mm. right we still we are both um able-bodied uh, males who knows if we we're born without limbs and even if you were born without limbs what if you were born without sight and if you weren't born and if you were born without sight imagine if you were born without the ability to hear so there's mm. always levels of like how i guess privileged you are yeah or unprivileged you are and i see it as a spectrum right um but that to me is is just a funny thing in regards to how far people be willing to accept the idea of what true grace or unmerited favor is or true charisma is. Mm. Um, so with all that being said, then do you, do you feel like the title you give yourself as far as a charisma coach, do you feel like that is misleading in a way, or maybe it should be updated or how do you view that title? Does it hurt you more than it helps you now? Mm. I think it is meant of a word play as well. Like to draw that uh, radical controversial attention, mm. like, people think first off oh charisma coach this guy must be full of that confidence must be good looking must be eloquent must be like the superman of which he is era. folks he is let's not get it <laughs> twisted he is good looking he's confident he's got good communication skills 
And at the same time, it's really to bring that mindset shift. Like I think that word is meant to be be playful and mm. to bring people to think that, oh, wait a minute, this is not what I think it is. But after knowing this guy, knowing what he teaches, oh, I have a different understanding of charisma that my paradigm is being challenged when it comes to the understanding of the word and even the cultural yeah. belief as well. Yeah, I think that's what it's all about as well, right? Challenging that paradigm, having that paradigm shift, challenging that mindset. I use that same tactic in regards to my Instagram name, mm. right? Like I call myself Coach Badu. Hey. And like, look, I'll, I'll say it on air right now. Like I, a part of me hates the fact that I've used that as a title because I, I don't like the idea of titles and because I feel like it can be liberating and it can give you a platform of who you are, but it can also be imprisoning and it traps you in who you're saying you are as well. But I felt that for, you know, maybe that shock value, like you said, with charisma coaching, like it kind of pulls people in. Oh, he's a coach. Oh, he's coach Badu. Let's check out what a coach does. And then allowing me to kind of then try to reprogram your idea of coach really and your idea of who I am as well. Um, so that, that's a bit, that's a bit wild. So I, I see where, you, where you're coming from with that, with that point of view. Um, ultimately, how did you first dive into coaching then? Right. Everyone has their own journey of what kind of led them there. How did you get into all of this? That's a great question. So for me, I was born and raised in Singapore. And for audience who are not based in Singapore and not exactly sure about the compulsory serving of uh, Singaporean males in the military, every Singaporean male has to serve at least one year and 10 months or two years in Singapore uh, military service. Mm. And for me, I did one, one year and 10 months. Uh, you might be wondering, what about the two months? Uh, two months are being reducted or reduced because of uh, people who are rather fit. You can take away that two months and just serve minimally one year and 10 months. Uh, okay, yeah. But coming back after serving that military uh, commitment, mm. I actually had about nine months before my university. So the first question is, what in the world am I going to do with my free yeah. time right now? Am I going to play more games? Am I going to work like, uh, you know, odd jobs? Or am I going to invest in something that would be a long-term beneficial skill for mm. myself? Yeah. And to be honest, I wasn't as intentional, proactive as a learner. So back then in church, I had a mate who asked me, hey, Jeremiah, I do have um, coaching uh, engagements, which I need more coaches, young coaches that are able to, um, you know, teach and uh, train the students. Yeah. Will you be willing to try out? And to be honest, like, I am freaking out when I heard that from him because, like, <laughs> I wasn't comfortable with public speaking. And for me, um, just a snippet of who I am, you know, I was born a shy Chinese Singaporean introvert. Mm. So to imagine doing public speaking is not something that I have foreseen myself doing it. Mm. But at that point of time, I felt the conviction within my heart. You know what? This is really uncomfortable, but this is the best thing I can do for myself. Mm. And so I, I delved into that. And long story short, um, my first class was horrendously challenging. I felt like I was thrown in the deep end of the ocean. Yeah. For example, my, uh, I had no prior training experience. So, but my first class was with 25 students, really notorious, really challenging. And this, the classes are of three days, each day, eight hours, eight, 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 24 hours. So I felt like I'm going to die. Honestly. So what were you, so you were in charge of teaching them 
And what were you meant to be teaching them in that in that period? Well, everything like um, leading from personal leadership, public speaking, goal setting, time management, stress management, things that will help students to manage the examination stress and that wow. journey itself. And did you have any experience in these things, say, outside of the military time you had served? No, to be honest, no. <laughs> <laughs> they just said, hey, no, no. Jeremiah, come and teach these people how to live their life. <laughs> so... Yeah, no. How did that, how did you survive or endure that that uh that first experience? Then that's so crazy. Say, say each module is two hours. So if you do the math right, there'll be twelve modules. Each mm. module requires about half a day of training. So for every two hours I train for the students, I had maybe four hours of training, intensive training for the materials. Mm. So to be honest, I wasn't any person with prior experience or success story. I just went in like blank and just do my best and to do what I can. But that was my starting point, and that was the turning point in my life, which is great. <laughs> I, think, I think there's something to say about jumping into things that you don't even see where it can, where it's going to lead to, whether you're going to fall flat on your face or whatnot. Like, are you, look, you said a lot of things throughout that period, one being that you were born, you know, introverted. Do you still see yourself as an introvert now, or do you feel that's shifted? How do you view yourself in regards to your personality style? 100% proud of to be introvert i'm still an introvert in the core okay <laughs> see, and that's the thing like look you telling me you're introvert i'm like yeah. okay i can kind of see it mm. but if you said you're an extrovert i would also completely mm. believe it as well because the way you carry yourself um it does have that 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 um i don't know what the word you used i should use to describe it is but it is like a silent confidence. Mm. And I think that can go a long way. It's kind of like, do you ever watch like movies with like Ryan Gosling? Oh, yeah. Ryan you know, people be like, oh, he's so, he's so this, he's so that. And it's kind of like, every, every time I watch Ryan Gosling, I'm like, there's this silent confidence <laughs> that someone carries himself with. In fact, I was yeah. watching a Jubilee uh, episode this morning mm. or last night. I was doing a major YouTube binge last night <laughs> on Jubilee videos. And have you seen the, do you know the Jubilee um, YouTube channel? Not exactly. Okay, so I'm just assuming you know stuff. So Jubilee, I'm going on tangents now. Jubilee is basically um, a YouTube channel with mm. a bunch of, um, um, I guess, content creators who create spaces where they have facilitate life discussions and different mm. mindsets and social paradigms. So, for example, they'll they'll have like, um, they'll ha bring like maybe a bunch of black people into a room and say and ask them different questions about being black and see if they all agree or if they disagree. Then they may do it for, say, gay people. Then they may do it for white wow. people. They just try to um, test different cultural and racial ideas and, and facilitate it through discussion. Um, so one, one of the ones I was watching this morning was regards to couples. And one of the questions I'm asking is, would you leave your partner if um, they cheated? Mm. Um, and each person is going through it. But it was one person who st stuck out to me. Mm. And this is what I'm going to tie it back in. Mm. He was a young male, yeah, 18 years old. Mm. So it was also a bit um, surprising to see it from such a young person. But there was a certain way he carried himself, which is kind of like that Ryan Gosling, the kind of way I see you <laughs> carry yourself, which is like a silent confidence where it's like, I don't need everyone's approval around me. Mm. I can be in this room, share my opinion. It can be loved. It can be hated. That doesn't change how I feel. I know who I am. That's the kind of vibe wow. I get off you. Um which I think sometimes can be maybe mistaken as being extroverted, but maybe it's just that it's just a different type of confidence. Yeah. Um, but in that case, can you share on that? Like what can you kind of demonstrate or maybe speak about the different types of confidences you may, hmm. you may find in the world? 
Because I think, and I've fallen into this, yeah. at times you think of confidence in one way. We already kind of demyfed the, the definition of charisma, mm. but let's play around with the idea of confidence, right? Because people have, may see confidence just like, okay, he's, he's able to go talk to people um, freely or she's able to go and walk into, you know, uncertain spaces and be completely confident in themselves. Like we all have our, our own idea of confidence, but what do you see confidence as and how do you see it differently in the world as well, if that makes sense? Definitely. I think in simple juxtaposition, yeah. we can compare the kind of confidence in two ways. One is the identity-driven confidence mm. and the other is the achievement-driven confidence. So identity, then achievement-driven confidence. Yep. Okay. So let's go with achievement first. Obviously, if I have this X amount of money, if I'm a millionaire, if I have this house, I have this car and this influence uh, mm. of the wealth, then wow, that really adds to my ego. I feel great because people yeah. respect me. People want more of me. People yeah. will come for me. So I have that kind of attention and therefore that kind of confidence. Mm. And But I would say achievement-based or achievement-driven confidence is very volatile. It's very mm. fragile as well because like in COVID season, right? Yeah, Many of us lost jobs. Many of us have lost Tons of money in the stock market. Yeah, yeah. And where would that confidence come if you lost all these achievements mm, yeah. or these possessions and materials? So one way to have it is the temporal, short-term, fragile, volatile confidence based on achievements. Yeah. On the other hand, what I believe is more long-term, sustainable, mm. resilient kind of confidence is identity-driven confidence. Mm. Meaning when we know who we are, we are able to do what we want to do. Yeah, and that confidence <coughs> would drive us, you know, be in public speaking, be in leading teams, um, coaching entrepreneurs, and as well just uh, pioneering movements in the societies. Mm. And that kind of confidence, I would say, it is what charisma coaching is trying to advocate, trying to drive. Because when we come back to charisma itself, many times there's the argument of the nature versus the nurture. Like what you said just now, like for me, I was a and I am an introvert, but functionally, I'm able to be an extrovert, yeah. express myself, communicate rather well, yeah. and to express uh, my thoughts and views. And that takes yeah. training. So I would say, as the Greek word meaning of charisma is mean gift, now we have to nurture a gift. If we don't nurture the gift, what happens? Mm, the you lose gift it. will be lost. Yeah, Will be made redundant. Mm. And you're wasting the gift or gifts that God has given you or given us. If we don't develop, we don't nurture and to train ourselves to become better versions of ourselves. Wow, I love that because when I think about the idea of training your gift, either use it or lose it, right? <coughs> like we've all been given muscles in our body, mm. right? That you can't, it's a gift, mm. right? You didn't, you didn't create your own muscle. Like that's given to you by God, by life, right? Then you can go to the gym and develop it, right? If yeah. you don't go to the gym and develop it, the muscle gets weak. Mm. If you never lift it, you never. if someone goes to, like they say, I'm jumping from place to place now. <laughs> if you go to space, while in space, you're in zero gravity, you're not using your leg muscles so long. What happens when they come back? They mm. lose the ability to walk and they, ne they need to retrain those leg muscles. Um, I think there's such a strong thing to say in, if you have a gift, don't forget you need to still practice it and mm. work it um so good someone like lebron james who 
you talk to people now, you hear, since he's had like a long legacy in the NBA, you hear about how great of a person he is, right? Like how he remembers every team's plays mm. and is like quoting plays back to teams while he's playing them. People are like, how do you know, have all this information? It's like, he has like a photographic memory, it, yeah. it seems like, and insane athletic ability um, and selfless leadership is amazing, mm. right? It's like almost like the perfect human being in a way, <laughs> right? But we all do know how much he still works. The reports have come out. He spends like about a million dollars, if not more, on his health each year. Mm. So he's actively saying, look, I'm gifted in all these areas. I already am a, a, a freak. I'm a specimen, right? I'm come like on. Wolverine when it comes to my yeah. genetic ability. But he still goes the next level of always practicing and putting work in. Mm. So... One more thing though, right? Because yep. um, when you're breaking down the two, uh, the charisma, I'm sorry, yeah, the two types of confidence, right? The um, the identity confidence and the achievement confidence. Yes. Which is also what I see as achievement confidence being things that are based upon the externals, while identity confidence is things that are based upon the internal. Mm. How do you learn your identity confidence? Right, because many people don't understand who they are. They don't know how to get to that place where they understand their identity. What would you say in regards to helping someone who is trying to learn that identity? What's your, what's your advice for that person? Yeah, appreciate that question. It's really a very simple yet complicated question because when it comes to identity discovery, even the simplest question is who am I? It is really simple, but yet it's one of the toughest questions that mm. every one of us has to go through a certain journey to find out the personal answer. So I would say when it comes to find out the clarity of identity, meaning do I know who I am? Am I okay who I am? That journey itself, it is um, very personal. So mm. I would say um, one of the, the, the tip or I would say strategy is to give yourself some time to reflect, to really yeah. be intentional to ask yourself like, okay, you know what, regardless of what people say, what my parents try to influence, or what the teachers or bosses or whoever might have exert some influence on you. Mm. But when you are with yourself, you know, without anyone, what are your values? What are your belief system? What are some things that you see that is only unique to yourself that you are saying that I'm okay with all these attributes and this is who I am? And not conforming to what the society de demands of you. I think that journey is is intricate is uh, personal so i will not say oh it's easy you can spend the next two hours you find identity <laughs> it's very much of a journey and mm. and the truth is the matter of fact is that it's a lifelong journey and sometimes we might find greater clarity sometimes we might find ourselves lost in the maze but eventually much clearer and much better if we are intentional yeah would you say that with your own journey do you feel like you found your own identity confidence I would say a strong, I would say absolute, but a great sense of clarity to mm. who I am um, as a person. And um, no doubt, some of the identity statements can be influenced by roles and responsibilities based on seasons. Mm. But I try to strip all these things away, ask myself, regardless of the roles, the responsibilities, the uh, seasons of life and demands, who am I in essence? Um, that's where it helps me to find that clarity. Mm, yeah, no, I hear you. So you were, were you born in Singapore? Yes. Right. And 
when did you first come to Australia? And mm. for what reason was that that brought you to the land of Oz? Mm. Yeah, the land of Oz, the down under. Down uh, under. Yeah, mate. <laughs> what brought you over here? Eh? <laughs> I came here roughly four years ago, July 1st, 2017. Down to the date. Hey, yes. <laughs> I definitely remember the date. It's the best uh, date of my life, honestly. Oh, wow. Like, coming here to Australia is a big um, life decision and I never regret it. It's one of the best. I'll elaborate a bit more later. Mm. But before that, I was kind of on the brink of uh, identity crisis. I hit a roadblock in my coaching journey because uh, coaching journey obviously is not just full of the achievements, the limelight, but also the deep down struggle with who I am. Mm. Am I trying to be this coach or that coach? And can I do it as a career or just a short-term adventure? So long story short, in that moment, I was lost in that limelight. I was like, mm. is this really what I want to achieve? And for me, I'm a Christian. So my Christian faith matters a lot. And I've been asking, like, God, is this what you want me to do? And for a short season or for a lifetime? And yeah, I, I actually came to Sydney to seek a refuge. You know, I came here to study in the Bible College, um, to take time off, to evaluate my life values and to seek a refuge in church, mm. knowing that this place will give me the time to reflect, to really assess what matters the most in my life and my relationship with Jesus Christ as well. Mm. So um, that was the motivation and eventually really a huge um, help in forming who I am right now, even in my charisma coaching journey. Yeah, so what would you say is now the, the pre- Jeremiah that was kind of in that almost identity crisis, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you about mm. the coaches that you say, am I being this person? Am I being that person? Because I feel the same thing sometimes. <laughs> and what, look, I, I won't go into that just yet. So pre-identity um, crisis versus now you've come to Australia and you feel like you've found yourself more. Um, what would you say, how do you view yourself now in regards to coaching? Do you see it as something that's like now it's meant to be like, you, you know that you know this is it for you? Or is there still an aspect of maybe this is just a part of me and there's other things I'm trying to do and coaching is just a, maybe a season? Like, how do you view it or now? Mm, I would say the pre-JMI was more of an imposter, um, like trying to fake it until I make it. Yeah. And trying to be in a way what people expect. But the current JMI is more in the progress. I wouldn't say 100% there, but in the progress of becoming someone more authentic and more unapologetic when it comes to sharing what would be the helpful wisdom and uh, healthy truth mindsets as well for people. Authentic and unapologetic. Mm. Those two words to me are very powerful. Very indeed. Authentic and unapologetic. So, because I'm thinking to myself right now, like, do I feel like my most authentic self? Not most. Mm. More than before. Definitely not most. And there's always a, a, a next level of how more authentic can you be. Mm. But is there too much is too much authenticity impos possible? Like, can you go too far in being authentic? Maybe should we keep an element of a veil and a bit of a not completely um, transparent all the time? What are your mm. thoughts? I think the approach or application of authenticity has to be assessed with what is a greater good when I am authentic? Am I trying to show off 
or am I trying to add value to the people I'm sharing with where I'm being authentic, where I'm being vulnerable mm. with my own challenges? So the end goal is who is benefiting more? Is mm. it just myself or is it my audience, my uh, my clients, my coachings, or is it just about elevating myself? Because sometimes there can be a false humility, right? Yeah. Where I try to be authentic, but in a way that manipulating the loyalty or the impressiveness of my audience. And it can be part of uh, emotional manipulation, yeah. even when it comes to authenticity. So coming back, I think authenticity, authenticity has to be applied with the right mindset that I am to add value to my mm. audience and not exactly for myself. So if I'm hearing you right, you're saying <coughs> authenticity isn't just being who you are, but it's also the motive behind it and the intended outcome with it as well? 100%. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, no, that's something I'm going to really probably go and meditate on because I've always, yeah, because when I think about authenticity, I just think about, look, if say you're scum, right? You're just a <laughs> terrible person. You enjoy insulting people and trolling people online and mm. like kicking babies down the street. <laughs> just terrible, nasty stuff, right? Don't. Is that still, if you are just that person, are you still authentic? Or does what you're doing and the reason you're doing it does that all still really determine whether you're authentic or not? I think it's an interesting question. Because um, naturally, I, I usually see authenticity as just as long as you are being how you truly feel, then you are being authentic in that in that particular moment. It may not be good. Mm. It may be scum. It may be trash. Mm. But I've always seen as you are still being authentic, I guess. But there's, is, there's layers to, to that as you are explaining. Yep. Um, you said that when you first started out, you're looking at different coaches saying, am I being this person? Am I being that person? And one of the things that I really want to see come out of myself is the most unique, authentic mm -hmm. version of Joshua as a coach and as a speaker and as a podcaster, right? We were talking about, before we even started recording, I was talking about, oh, you know, Joe Rogan, usually how he has a seat set up, it's from ac across from each other. I said, no, I want you to be here. Yeah. Right? In that moment, I was really being authentic to say, I want you to be next to me rather than across from me. Yeah. Um, but there always is that idea of who you're trying to compare yourself to. Mm. I want to know, when you first started your coaching journey, who were you looking at? Who were you kind of almost replicating or... Um, taking pieces of mm. that was forming who Jeremiah was as a as a coach at that time in your life. At that point, for the first few years, it's more of learning from people that I know face to face, not necessarily social media influences. Because mm. back then, two thousand and ten, uh, Facebook, YouTube are still in the initial advent. Yeah, wasn't as popular ago, as yeah. these days. It's a long time ago. Um, so back then, it's really more looking out to mentors who are teaching me, who are working with me, and they are my direct influences. So I'm trying to be like them. I was trying to be like them. But eventually, I realized that the more I try to be, the less I'm becoming who I'm supposed to be. Mm. Meaning that the best I could be of them is the second-rated me. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. when I be myself and not try to be like them, I am becoming the best version of myself. 
Mm. There's only a limitation of how much I can emulate to become the mentor whom I look up to. But there is really sky sort of uh, limits that I can be when I try to be the best version of myself. Interesting. So I feel like anyone who's listening to this will resonate with what we're talking about right now in regards to who your influences are, who your role models are, how much you try to be them versus how much you try to be yourself. Um, I was listening to this one a podcast and the person made a powerful point about trying to find himself as a speaker. And he was saying that uh, naturally he found that when he was doing speaking engagements, he was kind of uh, conforming to um, stereotypes or caricatures of other type, other speakers he had witnessed. Because that's the only reference he knew for what speaking was. And what he did to try to find his true self was, he said, which of these attributes, which of these traits from these speakers felt like me, felt real, felt raw, mm. felt like it matched who I was? Yeah. And which of these traits felt like I'm just putting it on? <laughs> and what he would do is he would, he would get rid of the traits that, he felt wasn't still naturally a part of him that he didn't really gel with mm. and he would hold on to the ones that did and then before he knew it he began to see himself as an amalgamation of other people of traits that he liked mm. that he held on to things that he also maybe made up as just being uniquely himself you know because we all have our own unique characteristics anyway no one's gonna exactly be like you mm. um and then letting go of the things that weren't like him um, and I guess for probably for Christian listeners, and actually most people, people would know this story from the Bible of David and Goliath, right? Mm. It's very famous, whether you're in a Christian circle or non-Christian circle, it doesn't really matter. But one of the um, critical parts of the story was before he went out to fight Goliath, mm. um, he was asked to put on Saul's armor. Saul mm. was the current king of Israel. Yes. He tried on the armor, tried to walk around in it and said, this doesn't fit me. So he put on the arm, he put on someone else's style of, say, speaking per se, tried it out, legit walked in it, tried to speak like it per se, yep. and then said, nah, this doesn't fit me, let go of it. What that made me feel like in my own journey, and I want to hear what your thoughts on this is, mm. should we at least try to be like other people to see if it kind of fits us first? Mm. What that, does, that, that which fits us, should we hold on to? And that which doesn't fit us, should we then let go of? Or should we just completely try to be ourselves and not even try to look at anyone else when it comes to finding out who we are? I think both are absolutely important. It's just a question of, is it simultaneous or subsequential? Which comes first? And I will say um, the, the answer requires different orders at different seasons. What do I mean mm. by that? Say, um, as a kid growing up, we need to learn through education, you know, be public speaking, or certain technical skill set. And these are more of the behaviorism. You know, we try to learn the good behaviors of mm. our uh, teachers yeah. or mentors. Um, and then we try to apply and to build ourselves. So in that season, as a young child, yeah. we need to learn to grow our competency. Because as a child, you're still like a sponge. You're taking in all the different influences, mm. upbringing of the parents, mm. uh, from the parents as well with your teachers and now this day social media as well. So that's a journey of really um, synthesizing all these things into my brain, my soul, my spirit and exactly allow that to figure out who I am. Yeah. So I would say as a child, more of that learning from others and build yourself comes first. Mm. But eventually, you know, based on research from like 
know, teenage years, say 13 years later, um, youth are more able to have their own set of thinking, able mm. to have critical thinking, to assess, evaluate what makes sense or not. And that's where teenagers start to think about who I am as an individual, yeah. what is my place in the world. And that time, I would say it's simultaneous. It's not like before, mm. behavior, before identity, but now both are at the same time. Because now you you have to, to be being educated, being trained, but at the same time, you have to confront that reality. Now I am pretty much a grown-up. What am I going to do in the future? Who am I going to influence in the future? What's my life going to be? Who am I going to marry? All this daunting question will come and mm. tons of questions like that. But I would say after 18, just a gauge, it's nothing like completely has to be 18, but as a gauge after 18, you know, once you're after high school, getting university, going for a job, or even some of them are young entrepreneurs, that's where you get to, you are already relatively well-trained in yeah, the behaviorism yeah. competency. But I would say in this point, we have to take it slow and ask ourselves the toughest, most important question, and that's who I am as individual. So identity now would take place before behaviorism, mm. before learning from others to improve. Am I saying that we shouldn't keep on learning? No, we have to be keep on learning. But to learn to build that house, that house of identity that I've already created, mm. the foundations that I've already created on the solid rock. Yeah, so, I mean, um, I love the story in the Bible as well. If you look at Luke chapter 6, the parable of the wise builder, um, that is where, you know, the story is about two houses. Yeah. One house is built on shifty sand. Mm. So imagine you have a hurricane that comes, the house collapses because there's nothing on the ground that can hold the house sturdy and firm. Mm. But the other one is a solid house that is built on deep, solid rock foundation. Yeah. And to be honest, digging deep into the rocks meters by meters, it takes time. It's hard work. Mm. But those hard work eventually lead to the sturdiness and resilience of the house. No matter what storms, hurricane comes, the house is able to stand firm and strong in the same way I would say when it comes to identity it's like the foundation in the deep rock but the behavior the competency where they will learn from others it's like the embellishments the decorations on the house yeah. how you want to be your mansion how beautiful you want your house to be no that was so good because you you, you crossed on so many things that made my mind start start sparking because when you spoke about like the two different houses, one, one was built on rock, one was built on sand, the shifting sand, I kind of saw, in my mind, I saw principles versus trends, right? Like trends mm. always change. What's popping on social media changes, you know? One day it's uh, Will Smith's relationship. The next day it's, uh, you know, the Biden versus Trump administration again. So the trends are always changing, but principles, how things are built, those things generally should stay the same. Right. Uh, so it kind of made me say to myself, when you're walking into, say, a, a, a new industry or a new career path, you need to be able to dif differentiate between principles versus trends, right? Not everything that you're seeing is a principle. Not everything that you're seeing is a trend. You need to be able to discern the difference between that. Um, when people speak about identity and from having conversations with people, um, the... The, the grudge they seem to always have is they get told the what, right? Which is, I need to reflect. Mm. I need to go along the journey, which is true. It's all true. 
but they feel like they never learn the how. They don't mm. know the, the inner uh, nuances and the inner um, activities or experience that will allow them to really learn their identity. What I want to do is kind of uh, ask you, mm. um, in regards to you learning your identity, what moments in your life, what stories do you have where you felt like you did learn your identity, where you did learn what was truly you versus what was truly someone else? Do you have any examples or stories you could share in regards to like when this really applied to you that you were able to learn your identity versus something that was just, uh, say, uh, um, an achievement characteristic instead? Mm. I'll share a fun story in my teenage years. I didn't know... Back the to the teenage years. Okay. All right. <laughs> open up, open up. When I was 13, like, I never knew too much about plastic surgery, but I knew tons about how to, like, the features, the, you know, facial features that look good. So one of the things mm. that stood out to me is a sharp nose. Like, maybe you can't see me on camera or listen to audio podcasts right now. You can see that my nose is rather big. It's not sharp. So back then, I was thinking, I want to be a person who has a sharp nose. And in 2000, I reckon 2002, um, that's where I started to try this method called the plier method, the plier effect. You know, like the cloth, uh, the cloth plier. Mm. I, I, so what I try to do while playing PS2 FIFA, I was just putting that you're, on my you're nose. You're multitasking. I was like, <laughs> you're, I should. you're productive, getting yeah. stuff done. <laughs> oh yeah, 100%. Early, early uh, proactive personal growth. So back then, <laughs> while lying on my bed, playing PS2 be FIFA or Final Fantasy X, I was like, just, okay, you know what? Let the ply be on my nose for one hour. I'm pretty sure that with that consistency, every single day, my nose will be sharper. My nose will look better than before. And <laughs> that is because I felt like I am not happy who I look, what I look like and the person I am with such a mm. nose. But you see from the story is that obviously it doesn't work. <laughs> we learn from science. <laughs> it doesn't help with the structure of the nose. I tried it so I can tell you it doesn't work. Don't try it. <laughs> but eventually I learned as a young teenager, um, I there's certain limitation to altercation I can do to my body mm. to build my identity. But eventually I have to be really honest with myself. Am I okay how I look? Am I all right with my features? So coming back to your question, Joss, is um, the identity, the comparison, the establishment identity. I think even in today's world, like if you look at South Korea, there's an increasing billions of dollars of money pouring into mm. the beauty industry. Yeah, yeah. And that is because of growing dissatisfaction of people's looks, how they don't feel comfortable, content with how they look like. Mm. And so we can see from that statistics, as much as the industry grows, so it grows with the level of dissatisfaction. Yeah. So that's so interesting because on the last podcast I did with um, two guests called Nick and Femi, who are mental health um, uh, experts and mm. psych 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 psychiatric nurses, I'm like stuttering now, <laughs> psychiatric nurses, um, well, we gave the example of um, how, say a male on social media who sees certain women, say Instagram models and whatnot, and the kind of uh, men that traditionally or uh, they typically tend to be drawn towards, and that man that they're drawn towards may not be who you are inside. You mm -hmm. don't feel like you're that kind of person that they would want. And then having 
a, a choice to make, which is, will you remain authentic and true to who you are and then and and be patient and within time hopefully find someone who will match what you're looking for and you also match who they're looking for? Or are you willing to try to cut the corner and pretend to be someone else mm. so that you can get to that prize quicker? It mm. may be short-lived, but you can get there quicker. You went through that same experience with, uh, you know, the things you're doing with your nose as a child. You talked about the South Korean culture, all these kind of things. What I've learned is we all need, we all have a fork in the road and mm. a decision that we need to make, which mm. is it may be harder, but am I going to do it the authentic and true way? Mm-hmm. Or will I try to cut the corner, bend the rules and do it the fast way? Mm. Here's where it gets crazy. Are you ready <laughs> for this? We have examples of people who are showing how well doing it the easy and fast way can be successful for you. Mm. And if I say who's a family that we can, that we know has kind of done it the fast way and has had great success off it, in case you guessed it, the Kardashians, right? Yeah. The Kardashians have Mm. had obviously plenty of operations and whatnot, and they've made bank off it. Mm. And it kind of tests the idea of, do you really need to be real to make it? Do you really need to be real to be happy? Now, we don't know the Kardashians' lives fully. Maybe they're not happy. Maybe they are. I'm not saying what they are or what they're not. But you ultimately, when you come to that fork in the road, you will need to make the decision which way do you feel is best for yourself. Mm. Don't want butt implants. Don't want to go real. Don't want um, to pretend and be catfishing or don't want to be this or that. Here's my question for you. Yep. What do you think it would take to make someone believe that it's best to be themselves in a world where being fake is so heavily rewarded nowadays? Mm. I think eventually it comes down to the self-acceptance, like the truly unapologetic, sincere, authentic self-acceptance. Because even when we look at the word self-acceptance, in today's Ooh. world, people can play with the word and try to portray a false humility. Mm. Uh, if I share the story, it means I accepting myself because of this struggle I had, but ultimately it's trying to draw more followers or more people mm. to come to my club or communi- community. But coming back, um, I, I 100% think that self-acceptance is key. The, the, the journey that amidst the fakes and trying to be someone who I'm not, um, because I'm not discounting the immediate impact of confidence that a person can have yeah. if the person goes oh, yeah. through it can get surgery. You, it can get you there fast. You can have a boost. You can feel like I'm like the best looking person in the world after getting uh, the you know, features done or getting this kind of uh, status. 100%. I throw on a different different clothes and I feel like a boss already, oh, right? <laughs> and that's just clothing. Yeah. If I go from dressing like, uh, you know, just like whatever, mm. like I don't, I'm not really taking care of like my, my face, how I'm dressed. I'm dressing like in a tank top and like torn up clothes. I'm looking like maybe low level citizen kind of thing versus I throw on the suit, three piece suit. I got the nice shoes. It's mm. a, already, I feel the confidence brewing. Mm. Um, but even that you can say is, well, why can't you feel like that all the time? Mm. Even when you don't look your best, why can't you feel that way? Yeah. Um, so sorry to cut you off, but yeah, no, you can definitely get there fast, but I'll let you finish. Go ahead. Yeah. So we, even with like materialism, you can give that immediate mm. short-term boost, but the key word is short-term. 
if you're looking for something long term, I'm pretty sure if you look at interviews, be it Jim Carrey or celebrities, they will say like, even you have to reach us of the world, you're not the happiest. Like Jim Carrey said, you know, if you try to be, I might be not able to remember the exact phrase, but paraphrase is that, you know, um, if you if you want to be really happy, like you will realize that yeah, having lots of money is not the way. Because mm. he experienced it, he knew the journey, therefore he was able to say, and quoting his testimony, that says a lot with like the materials that we try to get, the, the, the good clothes, the wealth, you know, the money, the pursuits, but eventually led to a short-term eventual um, you know, discontentment. Mm. Yeah. I'm about to ask a really hard question. Oh, come on. <laughs> and this is a hard question because I think everything that me and you stand for, this challenges that to say how effective is what we talk and what we preach do. Mm. When you see someone who is doing it the quote-unquote right way, right? Let's say the right way is the authentic. You're staying naturally, staying true. You're not um, conforming to the way the world is trying to make you take corners to, to conform to. That even when you go down that way, you're still struggling with the same struggles. You still feel insecurities, even trying to be yourself. Mm. You still feel, uh, you know, maybe inferior and still get depressed trying to do things the right way. The hard question is, what makes us so sure that our way is the right way? Mm. If even we still go through struggles as well. So it's like, no matter, well, if you go left or if you go right, you're still going to walk into a wall. So why not just go down the fast direction rather than the slow heavy burn direction what what do you say to like someone who would pose that question mm. even the word right can be very subjective mm. and relative so say we have to take into account the different belief system that we build in us be the cultural belief system of identity mm. be the religious belief system of identity because where do we draw the morality is yeah. from faith or even the lack of faith atheism know that itself is a is a you know belief system mm -hmm. that how I draw with that uh, where do I derive the word and understanding right I thought he's opened up a can of worms <laughs> because then you it kind of turns into because we all six billion people in the world mm. if not seven billion about to be eight billion whatever it is we all do have have our own belief systems and mm. value systems mm. so now we're all trying to gauge what's the true moral compass for the world. Some people go down the route of relativism, where it's just like, look, it is what it is. Everything's subjective. Good luck. But then I feel like most people would disagree with that because there needs to be some kind of moral compass or some kind of, uh, you know, truth that kind of helps us navigate and scaffold our lives. Um, but even within that, there is so many different belief systems. So how do we even navigate the world where there are so many different belief systems? And mm. people, some people use religion, some people use health, some people use money. We all use our different religions to for what we believe is the right way for life. Yes. How do you? How do we navigate that when there is so many different belief systems on how to? What is the right direction to go? Mm. Obviously, there's no simple answer to that. But I know. I'm going to attempt. <laughs> how to dare it? me just throw that at you? <laughs> this is so cruel to, to do that to a guest. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, the tougher the better because it's more about conversation like this that drive more of the awareness and navigation through this world, what really works, what is true, what's not true. Mm. And I will attempt to answer that question. You're like a brave man, go for it. Uh, I would say like 
if you look at the ideology of perfectionism, the truth is that no one is perfect. Mm. Right? Every single human being has weaknesses. You can show me a certain person that, that can be cult leaders, that can be um, people who proclaim themselves as um, sons of God or even God. You can see that even in their own life, there are weaknesses, there are those um, gaps in terms of moral failures as well um, because none of us is perfect, right? Mm. So therefore, we can't base on human uh, derivation of morality of what is right and wrong because that itself it is an imperfect system. Mm. What does it mean that we will have to subject our belief system when it comes to right and wrong for the ultimate reference based on a higher being um, determination of what is right and what is wrong. So if we want to open a can of worms, we can go into like- <laughs> Oh, it's been opened already, but I love, the way you're, <laughs> I love the way you're navigating through the can of worms though, it's mm, good. Like, um, you know, different religions, like, you know, God, um, Jesus Christ, um, you know, Islam, mm. Buddhism. I mean, there's a lot of religion. I, I am not going to say that even though I'm a Christian, I am going to say that this is the right religion for everyone. Like, I think it has to be not just emotional experience, it has to be intellectual experience. And the third thing is spiritual experience. Mm. I think when it's a marriage of these three in union, the emotional, the intellectual, and, and the, the spiritual, spiritual experience, I love that. you are yourself closer to what is the truth that is you know, eluding, but paradoxically near to us. I think this is, no, I love for us to be talking about things about this because I always find myself pondering these things. I'm always like, I, I believe, obviously I'm a Christian. I believe in a higher power, mm. right? And I submit myself to that higher power's rule for what life should be in that morality. Um, but I always think to myself, like there's so many different higher powers. I'm doing that with quotes, right? Or religions really. Um, that how can we consolidate the vast divide mm. between everyone's opinions for what the truth really is. Yeah. And it's it's one of those <laughs> things that like, I think deep down we all share um, a desire to see us all come together and know the truth. Mm. Like you look at your fellow uh, men and women, you're like, man, I wish we could all just truly know what the truth is. Mm. But the the can of worms is more than a can. <laughs> it's a it's a quarry of worms. It's an ocean of worms. It's so many. It's such a big divide mm. that it's it's real hard to even look at how big of a mountain you feel it is to try to get all humans on the same page. Right. And we all try to do it in our different ways. You know, people do set up NGOs and charities and all these things to try to like you know try to bring human peace and um you know financial stability and let's repair the world mm. but i always feel that no matter what you repair it will fall back into shambles mm. unless you properly get a true moral compass that the whole world can abide by because mm. if you have one cell in your body that says i'm cancerous i'm not gonna i'm not i'm not here playing with your rules of let's protect the body i'm trying to destroy the body mm. Maybe that was a bad analogy because I don't know too much about cancer. But let's just assume that cancer cells like reproduce, right? Then eventually it, it, it reproduces, it goes through the body again, and then your body begins to break down. Uh, so look, 
it is a can of worms question, so I knew I threw it at you. <laughs> but, you know, that's something I wanted to kind of see how you would take on. Yep. Um, yeah, is any any other thoughts on that? Because I have some other things I want to ask you, but is there any other thoughts you wanted to share on that part? I I think just coming back to the emotional, intellectual, mm. and spiritual experience, I yeah. think once you have these three vividly in your life, you can't go too wrong with it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. So ultimately you came here about four years ago, mm. right? Um, and I always love to speak to people from different cultures who are now in a new culture because you can see it from the outside and then you can also see it from the inside. Me, myself, um, you know, me being African-Australian, um, I grew up in a predominantly white school um, mm. with few other black people. Um, you know, uh, I guess a couple... Not a couple, but like, you know, uh, a good dose of Asians as well, as well as like Arabics or Persians or whatnot. Um, but what this allowed me to do was to be a minority. Yeah, I was a minority in, growing up. I've always been a minority growing up. I'm not doing that as like a woe is me. I'm doing it as an observation, right? Mm. But it allowed me to see culture from the outside and from the inside. And to see that culture really influences things more than race does. Wow. Because you'll see, you put a black person in a predominantly say, uh, Australian school, they're going to act Australian. You put, um, you know, say, a white person in a predominantly, say, uh, African-American environment, mm. they're going to be acting African-American, most likely. Um, so, you, coming from Singapore, came to Australia. I'm curious to know what has been your experience and how you see the different cultures of your own homeland versus now being in Australia. Mm. Um when it comes to, say, family, when it comes to, say, self-development, when it comes to career paths, when it comes to life in general, what is the differences you see between the Australian culture versus uh, the Singaporean culture and how you grew up? I once thought that Singapore is a really multicultural society mm. until I came to Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> so Singapore itself is pretty multicultural. We mm. have majority Chinese uh, with followed by Malays, Indians, and maybe mm. like a few percentage of other races. But definitely compared to Sydney, I've never met, I'm saying back in Singapore, I had never met Scandinavians. Wow. And um, say even like uh, Middle Easterns. Mm. So coming here is really, I understand what multiculturalism on a full flash looks like in Sydney. Yeah. And yeah. I love it because I'm learning huge way more um cultural beliefs and traditions from these people mm. yeah no definitely there is uh quite a quite a bit of a melting pot here i'm i'm very curious i want to be able to go and check out usa because you know mm. i hear about new york being like the ultimate melting pot where you can find anything <laughs> of everything there and yeah no definitely australia uh or sydney in particular is quite uh multicultural what about, what have you observed in regards to, say, how we, uh, the differences in regards to, say, career, how we take on career paths, or maybe how we deal with um, family and whatnot? Is there being mm. things you observe there as well that have stuck out to you? Yeah, I would just base on my uh, coaching engagements with individuals from Sydney. I mean, they definitely represent the whole wide range of uh, different cultures here, um, be it like Latinos or Aussie Aussie or American Aussie yeah. and, and Asian Aussie as well. So coming from that, in that holistical assessment, 
of what the cultural difference between Sydney and Singapore. I think here in Sydney is much more relaxing. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying it's relaxing. I'm saying it's more relaxing than Singapore. Okay, yep, yeah, I see, I see. But itself can be stressful if you live in the city, you know, working from eastern suburbs. It can still have that fast-paced city vibes. No doubt it's tough, it's stressful, but I do feel like people in Sydney are able to enjoy life way more uh, in a weekend. Interesting. Taking breaks away. Because in Singapore, we are always working, even in our brains, even as we go into weekends, uh, staycation or going to church, we're still bringing that lots of worries from work into mm. the Sunday. How do I prepare well for my Monday meetings? How do I prepare well for my Wednesday presentation or the projects I'm managing? So that can be the normal patterns in the brains of Singaporeans. And even weekends, you go for a walk in the park, you're still thinking about the, the talks in the office. Mm. So that can be really um, prevalent. Do you think that that is necessary to build greatness in a way to build the diamonds that really shape the world you think about you know say american culture in the army mm. which maybe is like that in all armies but i'm just taking america as like a particular case study right and how they put them under immense pressure mm. you know navy training seals training hell week kind of thing and if you come out of that then you're going to be the cream of the crop do you believe it's necessary for cultures and work life to be that intense to generate that kind of power that will affect and impact the world in such a great way? If you're looking at impacting the world, adding value to people, not just to yourself, if the happiness that you're seeking for is not just about personal happiness, but helping people, I would say hustling, growing yourself, perseverance, consistency, and just keep on going is really essential if you want to make a difference to society. Mm. But if you want to be really happy by yourself, going to the mountains, you know, going to the nature, like there's nothing wrong because everyone has different perspective. But mm. my perspective is everyone is born on earth with a divine purpose. Like there are two days in our world that matters most. The day when we're born and the day we find out why. When you find your why, that is actually really beautiful. Then mm. you realize this is my reason of being alive here on earth. So if your reason of being alive on earth is to serve others, which come back to charisma, because charisma, even from the wisdom of the Bible, it says that it's not about serving myself, it's serving the others. Mm. If I serve others, that's my main purpose, then I would say you've got to always grow yourself, challenge yourself, get off comfort zone, you know, and, and lead and to add value to people. Be proactive in doing that. But if you are trying to serve yourself, um, then then whatever you feel like, I think this is your own happiness of definition. Mm. So, I think that example and that question is um, a very interesting one because say, like you said, we all have a purpose, right? Generally, mm. we are put on this, oh, I believe that we all are put on this earth to serve each other in a way, mm. right? Maybe some people are called to serve more than others or do bigger things than others but we all do have it to a certain degree um but what if you have a dream that's like mm. humongous right like you really <laughs> want to like you really want to try to get all humans on the same page mm. right you're like i want to take on the ocean of worms that no one else can take on mm. but at the same time you want to be able to like say see your friends and see your family does it do you believe that it always requires a sacrifice 
does it always require, if you want something that's so great, you need to be give, willing to give up things that are also great to achieve that, that first thing that you want. Mm. So to put analogy, think about the thing you treasure the most. Like to everyone listening here right now, think about the one thing you treasure the most and think about the cost, the price, the sacrifice that you paid to own, to possess, or even achieve this treasure. I think it itself has or will exemplify the fact that um, happiness or even personal fulfillment, whatever you call it, contentment, comes at a price. Mm. We need to pay a certain price or sacrifice to attain what we really want. That personal uh, calling, you can call, or, or mission, or fulfillment, but nothing comes free. Mm. Even as um, you know, we are here coaches to coach individuals or organizations, we are putting yeah. sacrifices as well, like time, money, and uh, other things that matter as well. But the question is, is this sacrifice worthy for something bigger that mm. will envelope your life? And may I just share something quickly as well? Yeah. Just in one minute. Like if you look at- Oh, there's no rush, go ahead. <laughs> I'll just share it quick. If you look at this uh, ideology or methodology, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So basically, uh, I believe in the early 20th century, Abraham Maslow, a behavioral scientist, mm. looks into the level of human motivation. Yeah, yeah. So he came up with two versions. The first version came out, um, obviously, five levels. The basic level, I'm not going to the second, third, and fourth. I'm just going to talk about the basic, the bottom, and the, the peak of the pyramid. Mm. So the basic is the physiological, meaning yeah. if I am to be motivated or feeling fulfilled as a human, I need physiological stuff like food, like uh, water, like shelter. shelter. Yeah. Um, I need this because if I don't have this, I would die. Yeah, you would die, literally. <laughs> right. But if I'm to survive, then eventually <coughs> able to find a sense of belonging, uh, you know, love. That's the, the few pyram uh, level pyramids in between. But the top, in the first version, he says, the top is self-actualization, meaning that once we are able to actualize, to bring to life our dreams, our passion, that is the highest level of human motivation. But guess what? He didn't stop there. Years later, he came up with updated research mm. data that says that there's a sixth level. And above self-actualization is this ideology called self-transcendence, meaning mm. helping others. When we help others, we are actually bringing that greater contentment into our own life. Mm. So say if you have a huge amount of like food, imagine eating this feast by yourself, comparing to sharing the feast with people and serving others, you see that the amount of joy that you receive is way bigger than you yourself eating this like 10 plates of sushi, sashimis, or barbecue pork, or whatever there is. Yeah. It's always <laughs> great to share, always great to help and serve. Definitely. I think um, just recently um, serving at my church, um, I hadn't been able to go to church for a while because of the COVID mm. situation. And what I found was there was a feeling I felt after serving uh, over the past week that I hadn't felt in a long time, mm. right? Um, I had been serving uh, people online through my coaching content and uh, clients one-on-one. -on -one. And there was something about that that was fulfilling and it felt good. But I don't know why. Part of me feels like it's, you know, God, Holy Spirit that was able to empower it. But 
in this kind of servitude and serving, uh, there was such a lightness I felt in my in my body. Mm. It felt I felt very easy, very light, very at peace in the world. It's something that I don't feel all the time if wow. I'm just serving myself mm. or if I'm serving things that. Uh, it's hard for me to explain, but I didn't get that with everything I've done, but I got it with this one here. And it made me start to realize, like, there's even um, blessings come in different shapes and sizes. Like, they don't all feel the same. Um, you know, you can go ahead and eat a, 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 a maybe, like, lollies and snacks, and they'll taste good, but then you might feel kind of, you know, a bit bloated or, like, weak later on. But you can go ahead and have, like, maybe a, a steak or maybe a, a vegan meal or whatnot, Things that can still taste good, um, but you also feel energized and you'll feel uplifted later on in mm. your body. So it also kind of challenged my thinking of like, you know, even how you serve and what you're serving, whether it's yourself or others, even those things can have different kinds of uh, impact on how you feel afterwards. They're not all the same. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure but for you, Joshua, like for me, when I serve others, I'm serving myself. Like for example, when I'm coaching my client, I'm at the same time coaching myself. Mm. whatever I'm trying to teach the person, I am regurgitating yeah. that truth, that theory in my brain mm. and it's much more revised, much more um, sticky yeah. to my brain and I wouldn't find it hard to forget. Yeah. So yeah. like as a teacher, the more you teach others, actually you're teaching yourself as well. It's a simultaneous, in fact, multiplied blessing upon yourself when you serve people. Mm. Mm. Let's take one step back. Yeah. Um, are you a fan of Marvel? You're huge. Huge fan. All right, <laughs> super fan. We found, we found this thing. Okay, so huge fan of Marvel. So I'm, I'm guessing you watched Endgame and you... I watched everything. Yeah, everything. <laughs> loved it. Okay. So, spoiler alert. If you haven't watched it, something's wrong with you, okay? The whole world's seen it. So you should have seen Endgame by now. But yeah. when... Mm. And stop listening right now. In case <laughs> want to spoil it. When Tony puts on the glove mm. at the end, right? Says, I am Iron Man. Snaps his thing, fingers and gets rid of Thanos and all his, his uh, henchmen. <laughs> and then you look back and half of Tony's face is burnt. Mm. And I remember when I first saw that in the cinemas, my thought was like, oh my, I forgot that there's blowback. I forgot there's a kickback. I forgot there's always a sacrifice to, to be made for having great power. And it really made me realize the whole question I'm asking, which is, does it always cost something? If you are to be as trying to, you know, take over the world like Thanos was or bring the whole world back like Hulk, Hulk did or get rid of, you know, Thanos and his crew like Tony did, it always costs something. Mm. So here's my ultimate question. Would you be willing to put on the gauntlet? Wow. And snap the world into... What's even the word to use there? Snap the world into unity, into world peace. If mm. you know that 100% is going to cost you your life. Mm. And not like you're going to live a long life and then like, no, you might need to go through terrible, mm. horrible um, life. Mm. But by the end of it, you will save the world. Mm. Would you do it? It's not an easy question to be honest it's, it's like, a mean question i'm sorry for i'm throwing <laughs> i keep throwing weird ass existential no, questions at you I, I love it uh it's not easy because i have to confront my own humanity my own humanness to be honest with myself 
will I struggle when I snap the finger? Answer is yes, because with the pains, with the thought of losing my family, my close one, like loved one, losing my life, it's daunting, it's scary, it's Very scary. freakish. And but at the same time, I think we definitely need that process um, of reflection and to confront if what is the decision that is worth to be made. Mm. And at this point, even sharing as I'm thinking, I would say, although it's really, 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 really hard. Um, so I will share this first. Like we can't choose how we are born, but we can choose how we die, mm. right? Yeah. Because how we die is something rather manageable yeah. or within our control in a way compared to how we were given birth. Yeah, wise words, yeah. So Definitely. if that says, I think I would rather give my very best to do what is the right thing and to say yes, I will want to give my very best a snap. But at a point, if I try and I couldn't, I will not be ashamed of myself because mm. I'm still human. I, I am, love that. I'm not savior. I'm not a divine mm. being. I'm I'm a human with great potential, but yet still, I'm I'm paradoxically no um, good and not good enough. Mm. so I shouldn't be like putting that savior cap on me and say come on give it to me I'll save the world <laughs> if I can't if I can't I can't if I can I will yeah but no I love that I have to go through that yeah no you, yeah. you said the right thing honestly because <laughs> here's the thing right it looks cool to see Tony put on the gauntlet and snap or to see Thanos snap he did the wrong thing but it looks kind of cool <laughs> right yeah, like, oh snap he just snapped the visual effects are really cool but you realize that Marvel didn't do justice to how how much that price should have been. Mm. That price should have cost more than Tony's life. Mm. It shouldn't have cost him death. It should have cost him like legitimately um, more than death. Like his life should have gone into being worthy for the snap. And you think about Doctor Strange, knowing that among the 14 or 70 million ways, there's one way to defeat Thanos, Thanos, and he chose not to tell Tony. Why? Because he knew that if telling Tony earlier, mm. Tony might be shaken, might not do the right thing and to save the world. So there's also a timing for that challenge. Yeah. yeah. And perhaps even in moments or seconds, we can generate the greatest amount of courage. Mm. But if you give me two days to think yeah. about, <laughs> I think maybe that courage might be diminished yeah, it might slowly. Be diminished. So I guess it's the seconds where you're, we are forced, we are pressured to make the decision, the biggest in our own life that will reveal who we are. Mm, sometimes when you have just a split second, it's instinct, you'll, you'll do what needs to be done. But mm. when it's something you ponder on forever, then it can really, you know, freak you out. Yeah. And I think I'm bringing that up because it's kind of for everyone who's kind of like an overachiever or someone who's like very hard on themselves and has a big visions where they're like, mm. I'm not doing good enough. I'm not doing good enough. And it's kind of like, realize that every day you do put on the gauntlet, right? Wow. The snap is not just really a one second snap. The snap is actually a lifelong snap. Mm. Some days you actually snap and do the right thing and you're moving towards saving the world in your own world, whatever that looks like to you. Some days you're like, I'm not snapping my fingers. I'm going to watch Netflix instead, <laughs> you know? But just the imagery was powerful enough to make me think about it yep. of what it means to sacrifice your life for mm. a goal and to also say, yeah, you know what? Tony did it, but at the same time, I think they even underestimated what truly sacrificing your life for 
the world looks like. Wow. It's not just one moment. Mm. It's actually your whole life doing it mm. every day. Um, and some days you snap, yep. some days you don't. True. Look, one more question for you before we begin to wrap up. I know you've got to head off in the next 15, so I won't keep you for too long. And I'll let you uh, let the people know where they can find you. It's been so great having you. You've spat so much wisdom. It's been so amazing. Thanks, Josh. Um, but you also have been jumping into the short film game, mm. you know, doing, uh, uh, I won't say skits, but, um, you know, I guess just ultimately short films on social media, YouTube, and find on your, your Facebook and whatnot. Yep. Um, Take me through what's been your experience of uh, diving into that lane, um, you know, seeing that now you're needing to put on maybe more hats, maybe as a director or a producer in some ways, and how you've been able to navigate that. What kind of made you want to go into that direction, and how? what has your experience of doing those things now been like? I think ultimately it was the growth mindset. I want to challenge myself in ways that I know can add value to my audience or people. Yeah. And stories are impactful like everyone has story narrative to share with the world and that challenged me as a filmmaker to find a team to create a short films that can really communicate mm. or to serve the the viewers yeah. through stories definitely so in that midst of um you know creating short films really what motivated me first was the growth mindset but eventually to know that my stories portray not personal stories but the stories that I wrote or observed and wrote into um, the films are able to minister to help people who are going through such crises um, in today's world say for example um, the inspiration was more from the Bible itself like I love in Galatians chapter 5 22 23 it says the fruit of the spirit mm. and uh, it says there's love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Mm. We always have our own ideas of what these virtues are, but I would love to bring what the biblical understanding of mm. these virtues in ways that people can understand and to create conversations. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big believer of conversations. The more we are able to talk about you know, challenges or issues that we observe in society, is an indication of progress because first we are willing to talk and listen yeah. and to admit that there's such an issue. So the main motivation was really creating conversation through the narratives, mm. through the short films, before education of what really matters in life when we have these virtues in action and application. Could you see yourself diving into bigger length um, projects now, say even like doing films um, not just short films, but like feature films and whatnot. Like, do you see mm. this going to the next level? I think 100%, like this experience have really grown my confidence, mm. right, as a filmmaker. But to be honest, like I can't do it on my own. I would need a team. And that's a beautiful part. Like I realized that when it comes to creating short films, say per se, short films, uh, you do need a team. Yeah. You're, you're no one man's army. You might be good in this and that. Like for me, I am really a novice in videography mm. or or video editing or audio engineering but i'm a i'm, I'm pretty good <laughs> in screenplay writing or just uh, writing scripts and create storylines and cast finding yeah so able to find a team to create that results is very fulfilling and very very satisfying to know that 
I don't have to do it on my own. And with that team, we can we can make wonders. So with that in mind, I am pretty confident we can go bigger. 100%. Amen yeah. to that. No, like you said, uh, if you have the team and you realize not just you, mm. then that weight, that weight load is also not as intense trying to yeah. take it on. Um, look, in that case then, we're able to begin to wrap things up. Mm. Um, I want you allow you, I want to allow yourself to plug yourself. Where can pe- people find you? Where they, can they find your work, your short films? Let the people know. Yeah, you can find me on various social media platforms. Say on my Instagram is Jeremiah underscore Tio underscore J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H underscore T-E-O underscore. That's my Instagram. You can find same name in the TikTok and Facebook will be Jeremiah Tio, uh, Hanshin, and that's my Chinese name uh, for once being mentioned in the podcast. Um, and as well, I have a website. You can find even more information of my you know, coaching services. That is on uh, jeremiahtio.me, M-E. And you can find way more information and get in contact with me for just further chats and conversations. All right, all right. And you're on TikTok as well. You'd be doing the... Yeah, trying to follow the trends, all that stuff. Yeah, get right. Myself out of the comfort zone. Yeah, no, true. That's sweet. Um, and as you know, Joshua Badu, you can find me on uh, Instagram at Coach Badu or all other major platforms as Joshua Badu. And you can see all my content. Reach out to me and we can have a great chat. Same with, as with Han. Oh, with Jeremiah. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to Coach Badu Experience Podcast. Take care. See you again next time.